Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Tuesday, October 17th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that webpage and click on the two words that they start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why is this happening to me again? And that chapter of that book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for 19 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app. This app contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process. And it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. And we hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives. And secondarily, because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we would appreciate you doing that by giving us a call at 563-999-3581. Once you call that number, if you press 1 on your phone, it will put the little icon of a hand by your phone number, and I'll be able to 
Acknowledge that by turning on the microphone and announcing it by your area code. If you happen to be listening through the archives and you would like to submit a comment or a question or a testimonial, you can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org or you can email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at whyagain.org. That's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n dot o-r-g. If we receive a comment or a question from you, we will address it on the Internet show and then, as time allows, send you a notification about what day and time that happens so you can listen back to the archives for your feedback. And we appreciate whenever anybody does that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be a service. And that's just a whole lot easier to do when we get direct feedback from you about what's helping and or where you might be stuck. So, if there's a way we can support you, please let us know. I am uh, I'm all over the map today, to tell you the truth. Uh, all kinds of things happening. Somebody is uh, working to try and understand the reality management worksheet and they're using the short version, the short mental version, which has a written a written option. And I need to make notes about adding that to the MindShiftersAcademy.org website. Today's a Tuesday, and so that means there will be a support group tonight. And all the information anybody would need if they chose to Join us free for that support group. It's available at the mindshiftersacademy.org website. And on the mindshiftersacademy.org website, there is a separate page titled Educational Material. And on that Educational Materials page, there's a download of a PDF. You can download my attempt to create a shorter introduction to the reality management worksheet and I call it the mental short version and I also have a written short version which is the same words except a smaller font and more space to make notes so um, somebody pointed out that I only have the mental short version up there and to be consistent, I need the written short version. So I will be working to upload that in the next couple of days. And it's the same process. It's just smaller font and space to make some notes on, on that page. And this is happening because I'm working with somebody who is trying to teach this to a group of people in an upcoming weekend seminar. And so we're trying to facilitate um, teaching as many people as possible. Michael likes to say uh, to make these tools available to every mind, heart, and being on the planet, whether they have the money to pay for it or not. So this is just another little ripple in that ongoing saga or that epic adventure, however you want to, whatever filter you want to put on it. 
And, um, you know, one of my weaker areas is in organizational skills. And every once in a while, somebody will come along and say, hey, wait a minute, you gave me this, and I can't find this on your website. And I'll say, oh, yeah, that's right, because I didn't put that up there yet. So thank you for the feedback, and I'll work on getting that on the website. So if you go to mindshiftersacademy.org, you can find the information about how to join our support group tonight or Thursday night. And in the next couple of days, you'll also be able to download the written short version of the Reality Management Worksheet. And it's just one of many short versions that are out there. It's the one I use to try and uh, introduce the process to patients in my private practice. And I am just hopeful that it is opening the door, getting people... um, introduced to the process so that if and when they go to the reality management worksheet from the whyagain.org website, they'll understand. They'll be familiar with the core process. They'll have, as Michael would say, they will have built some brain cells for this process. And uh, the goal is to increase the probability that they will benefit from it and use it repeatedly in their lives. So, our call-in number is 563-999-3581. If you call that number and press 1, we can have a conversation. How can we be of service to you today? What's on your mind? What's working and what's not working? How... uh, How much of an overlap or synchronicity do you see between the Reality Management Worksheet as Michael presents it or as Bill Costantino presents it in his 24-and-a-half-minute PowerPoint that's available um, for, you know, free for you to watch over and over again? How much does that have in common with or overlap with the Choose Again Six-Step Method by Dietrich Wolzak? That's... An ongoing question for me as I continue to read from Diedrich's book. Choose again, Six Steps to Freedom. And where we left off yesterday, I believe, was having read all of Chapter 9 and the summary of the four points of summary for Chapter 9 are Number one, any upset at an early age can become the seed for a core belief. Point number two, the judgments we have about ourselves at a young age become our controlling beliefs. Point number three, our beliefs can be discovered in early memories. And point number four, discipline is essential. Be vigilant with your thoughts. 
don't let even the slightest negative thought go without the recognition that it is an error and that it is being generated from a negative belief. And if and when you have time, go do either the Diedrich Wolzak six-step process or the Reality Management Worksheet or a breath session or an EFT tapping session or a targeted journaling session that Michael calls a mind shifter to help you identify and dismantle the core negative belief. So the next chapter is chapter 10. It's titled Step 6. Step 6 is titled Embrace the Absolute Truth About Me. He quotes Walt Whitman who said, I am larger and better than I thought. I did not think I held so much goodness. And Diedrich writes, so here we are at the last step of the process. We have noted our feelings and how strong they are on a scale of 1 to 10. We have remembered a formative incident and we have identified one or more erroneous beliefs which have been driving our patterns of behavior and which have been triggered by this latest upset. Now it's time to correct those beliefs so that we can reclaim the happiness that is our birthright. And he poses the question, how do we do that? He writes, we utilize the two-part forgiveness process described in Chapter 4. And we're going to explore that further here. We need to correct our beliefs one at a time. So choose the first belief that arises. Let's say you're feeling angry, and one of the underlying beliefs that you have identified is that, quote, I am not important, close quotes. When you are in the memory of that emotion, let's say that your mom and dad wouldn't let you have the toy you wanted. When you are submerged in the angry feeling, the specific angry feeling triggered by the belief that I am not important, you want to take a deep breath and say out loud, forgive me for believing that I am not important. And then respond with, thank God that is not true. I made up that belief a long time ago. It is just a belief that does not serve me. I can now let go of it. Pause and take another deep breath. Now, in choose again circles, these forgivenesses are said while looking into someone else's eyes. And that person then responds. This has been shown to be effective because we are using the eyes of the other as safe witness to the truth. When we look into someone else's eyes, we see our higher S self, capital S self, reflected back. When that person then repeats the forgiveness back, the person who is doing the process has no trouble recognizing the innocence of the other person and thereby learns to recognize the innocence in themselves. It is, of course, possible to do these forgivenesses alone. 
out loud, or in your head. It can also help to use a mirror. This process was intentionally designed to be done on your own. To become free of outside help is the goal. The second part of step six is to confirm the truth of you, capital T, truth, which is done through another round of forgivenesses, and this time to seek to forgive yourself for forgetting the truth about who you are by saying, and here's an example, quote, forgive me for forgetting that my worth is intrinsic, close quotes. This time your response would be, thank God that is the truth. Simply because, yes, you had temporarily forgotten Who you are in truth has never changed, and it is patiently waiting for you to remember. The real essence of you is simply waiting for you to say it's time to pull back from the story and reconnect with the capital T truth. To recognize who you have always been. That's embracing the truth of who you really are. It is immensely inspiring to observe people who have a very powerful, convincing belief that their worth is zero and have them begin to accept that their worth is intrinsic. They think they have no worth and that nobody loves them and that they'll never be loved and that they'll never be seen and that they'll never be recognized. When they get their mind around the fact that their worth is intrinsic and unchangeable and they really take it in and accept it, it is truly amazing to watch their faces. At first, their immediate response is, well, that's not true, to which we respond, I recognize that it does not feel true right now, but how would it feel if it were true? What would that feel like? What would that feel like? What would the experience feel like if that was actually true? Then they say, well, that would be incredible. And so then we reply, well, then live accordingly. Live from that premise, the premise that my worth is established by God. It is intrinsic. It is unchangeable. Diedrich writes, I had one client who was so convinced that the audacious statement, I am innocent, didn't apply to him, that whenever I would say in a circle, you are unchangeably innocent in truth, he would ask, do you think that applies to me too? He'd been put into foster care as a child. His dad was an alcoholic. Throughout his life, he had collected vices, which he attempted to solve unsuccessfully with various 12-step programs. He reports feeling much lighter now as he allows himself to connect to the capital T truth of who he is. He used to cry a lot at circles, an indication of the connection to his true self. When the first round of forgiveness is complete, check in again. Go back to that moment when you first felt the anger 
and see what your anger, anger level is now. Has your anger gone down? Do you experience that moment differently now? How do you feel when you go back to being four years old and your mom or your dad wouldn't get you that toy? If the upset initially did not go down, it could well be that there we are dealing with another different belief, which you must also then trace back to its source and process through it as well. You must commit to continuing this process until the original upset rates at zero. When you have done this, you should be able to look back at the events that were occurring in the memory retrieved in step four, watching the replay in your mind calmly without any emotion. If you can, then this particular round of processing has worked. If there is still some emotion left in this scenario, go on to ask yourself for forgiveness for every belief you made up at that time. Here is a list of typical beliefs and the forgiveness formulas that can correct them. Here's a belief that I'm a victim. The forgiveness might read as, quote, I am part of oneness. It is impossible for me to be a victim. I am the author of every aspect of my experience. I have chosen absolutely everything that seems to happen to me, close quotes. Now, he writes, this idea is a huge stretch for all of us in the beginning, and it only becomes acceptable when I really accept that nothing ever goes wrong, that everything has always been for me. And that's capital M, me, capital S, self, this higher consciousness. Here's another belief. Guilty. I'm guilty and I'm bad. And the forgiveness response suggested is, quote, I am unchangeably innocent. My worth is intrinsic. I cannot change it no matter how much evidence to the contrary my ego drags in, close quotes. And then he writes, imagine a trial with the ego as a corrupt prosecutor dragging in inadmissible evidence, but the court has long since declared my absolute innocence. Here's a belief, I am unloved. And the forgiveness process suggested for that is, I am love. There is only love. There is no alternative except in ego's deluded mind. Here's a belief of being worthless. The suggested forgiveness is, quote, My worth is established by my creator, not by what I do or don't do, not by what I say or don't say, not by getting more degrees or dropping out of school. Close quotes. He writes, let go of trying to prove how worthy you are because it will never work. Only your intrinsic worth lasts and provides the security that we always seek so feverishly. Here's another belief. I am separate and alone. And the suggested forgiveness for that is I am whole and complete, part of oneness. Close quotes. There is only the self, the capital S self, 
there is nothing outside of this self, and therefore I am never alone. Here's a belief that I deserve punishment. The suggested forgiveness is, I am innocent. And he writes, I was taught that if I was punished enough, eventually I would be admitted into heaven. Not so. I'm already in heaven. Punishment is sought only by the ego to prove its faulty beliefs. Here's another belief. I'm stupid. And the forgiveness that's recommended for that is, I am part of oneness. It is impossible to be stupid. Close quotes. He writes, the only intelligence is divine intelligence. And that is what we share with all the universe. My IQ has nothing to do with my living, my birthright to be happy. Another thought is, another belief is, I'm powerless. And the suggested forgiveness process for that is, quote, the power of love is infinite and it has no opposite, close quotes. The last belief he suggests is, I believe I am monstrous. And the forgiveness that's suggested for that is, quote, I am love and that is all I am close quotes Diedrich writes the result when I have completed these forgivenesses as long as I have correctly identified the offending belief will be a sense of peace calm and happiness many clients report a feeling of lightness associated with undoing the burdens of the past here are a few examples from my practice and those of other choose again counselors he writes A 70-year-old woman who had grown up in an orphanage found that she had a strong belief in scarcity. She felt that she never had enough money. When she processed her upset around money, she recalled a terrifying memory of how, as a young girl, she had polio and was in an iron lung fighting for air to breathe. Her aha moment came as she realized that all her life She felt that she was fighting to get enough money, but really, she was still fighting to get enough air. She had developed a belief that, quote, there is not enough for me, close quotes. The lightness resulting from healing that belief was noticed and commented on by all of her family and friends. He goes on, an elderly gentleman who had always been a foster child, had a sarcastic wit that hurt people deeply. They would keep their distance so as not to get hurt by his sharp tongue. It took several workshops and private sessions before he plucked up the courage to tell me that at age 14, he had persuaded two boys living at the same reformatory. He'd convinced them to do some sexual experimentation. Since that day, he'd been drowning himself in self-hatred. He believed that he was unlovable and unworthy of being around other people. So, he needed to be kept separate. He had effectively imprisoned himself by using hurtful speech to keep others away. After he processed his self-loathing, 
and after he became aware of this pattern, people really noticed a difference in him. He no longer needed to be so nasty to everyone, and he started feeling close to people for the first time in 53 years. Diedrich writes, Another woman, Jennifer, had a particular problem saying goodbye to people. She would cry all the way through funerals or goodbye dinners for employees. It got so bad that she would avoid all such situations, but didn't want to miss important events. Through the six-step processing, she discovered memories of her baby sister, born with some of her internal organs on the outside of her body, for which she was in and out of hospitals for surgeries. This client made up the belief that it was her fault that her sister had to be in the hospital. For example, if she had been a better big sister, this wouldn't have happened. She also felt abandoned because of all the attention her sister received. In her three-year-old mind, she had abandoned her sister as well. By forgiving herself for believing that she could be guilty, believing that she could be abandoned, Jennifer's experience at funerals changed. She was able to attend without crying at all, and at the same time, she was able to feel a deep love for the deceased and their family and friends. Her life changed, and there was a noticeable new lightness about her. He goes on, the initial sense of peace and even euphoria that accompanies successful processing is often not permanent, so we have to be vigilant with our thoughts. That's because the ego sets out to reinforce old beliefs as soon as we finish processing. This happens because the ego is that set of beliefs. It will defend the beliefs that comprise it, protecting and reinforcing them at every turn to ensure its very survival. If my ego has been telling me several hundred times a day that I'm bad, guilty, stupid, alone, and a victim, it is unlikely that I will make a permanent change in those beliefs with just one round of processing. However, each time I catch an upset and process the beliefs that are triggered, those beliefs become weaker and the attacks become less destructive. The next section is titled Forgiveness. He writes, The best definition of true forgiveness, I think, is that of Brent Haskell, who writes, who states in his powerfully clear book titled Journey Beyond Words, quote, Forgiveness is just the awareness beyond your thoughts of the meaninglessness of all that seems to cause you pain, close quotes. So the definition that Diedrich likes for forgiveness is that it is the awareness beyond your thoughts of the meaninglessness of all that seems to cause you pain. Diedrich writes, The thoughts that cause us pain are the thoughts that arise from beliefs we hold about ourselves. None of these are true. Being told 
that the pain you have lived with for so long is caused by a meaningless event may initially be experienced as offensive. And it does require a bit of a leap at first. Forgiveness is a process that leads us to recognize that our worth is intrinsic. It's built in. It cannot change. Forgiveness in this process is never about what we did or about what anybody else did. In the Choose Again six-step process, forgiveness means remembering that we are unchangeably innocent. We forgive ourselves for believing the identity that we made up and thinking that that's actually who we are. Forgiveness in this process is to recognize who is the I, quote, I, close quotes, that chose to be hurt or that chose to feel rejected or that chose to feel abandoned. That I, in quotes, is not who you are. Forgive yourself for forgetting who you truly are. Forgiveness in this context, then, is not about forgiving the actions of someone else. It's not about forgiving my father for beating me, but I'm forgiving myself for believing that the message of the beating was that I'm bad. The fact that my father had a highly unpredictable temper was not my fault, even if every single member of my family told me that it was. I am not responsible for the feelings others choose. I'm not responsible for that any more than others are responsible for the feelings I choose. The belief I formed about myself was mistaken and does not serve me. In recognizing that, that I made a mistake in developing a belief that I'm guilty, I also recognize that my father is innocent too. He was simply acting out his own beliefs. Seeing him as innocent will actually help my own healing, as we've shown in Chapter 3. He writes, The same example illustrates a fundamental teaching of the Course, that everything we witness in others is either an extension of love or a cry for love. My father hit me three or four times a week for years. Now, what was this really about? I can neither I can either frame it in this way as well quote, he was a son of a bitch and I hate him, close quotes, or I can frame it this way, quote, I must have been a really terrible kid, otherwise he wouldn't have done that. I hate myself, close quotes. That makes me feel guilty, so when I act on those guilt feelings by acting out to create additional evidence of my guilt, I perpetuate the cycle. Or, another option, I could see his behavior as a cry for love, which then opens the door to an entirely new interpretation. Then, being beaten didn't say anything about me. It tells me that my father was in a lot of pain. But I can only see this when I am at peace. If I'm not, then I will have to deal with my own cry for love first. Every word out of my mouth and every action taken 
can be judged in only one of two ways, as a cry for love or as an extension of love. Can it be made any simpler? The Course in Miracles says, teach him that whatever he may try to do to you, your perfect freedom from the belief that you can be harmed shows him that he is guiltless. Teach the other people in your lives, no matter what they may try to do to you, that your perfect freedom from the belief that you can be harmed demonstrates they are innocent as well. Diedrich writes, I'm not forgiving the harm done to me. I'm forgiving the belief that I could be harmed. Please realize that this form of forgiveness does not condone bad behavior. If my teenage son smashes his bedroom door in a fit of rage, then his anger must first be processed along with any reaction to the incident. Processing will neutralize the emotion so that the broken door can be dealt with as just something to be fixed. I would present it as an opportunity to find healing that has been clearly called for. After that healing, the neutral facts will be looked at dispassionately, as in, quote, okay, how are we going to fix the door, close quotes. My son may have to pay for the damage, but it is not punishment for his behavior. It's simply a consequence of his actions and the loving thing for him to do. The next section is titled, Forgiveness versus Punishment. And Diedrich writes, Our culture functions on a punishment or reward system in which we are constantly judged. If we're good, we get a reward. If we're bad, we get punished. As a result, we're always in search of punishment for our guilt. This is the exact opposite of the idea of forgiveness expressed in Step 6. That shows that we are unchangeably innocent. We are unchangeably whole, we are unchangeably loved, and there is nothing that we can do to alter that. We are neither good nor bad, we just are. Our behavior is a result of our beliefs. And in order to change that behavior, we have to change our beliefs about ourselves. We are addicted to the feelings associated with punishment, and so we punish ourselves mercilessly with our thoughts. Someone who has just done something that is absolutely terrible wants to hear that they're guilty. That's why they did it. They want to have that experience. They want the guilt, and they don't want to hear about forgiveness. They only want to hear about punishment. How long am I going to be punished for? Just a question. But it's pretty much a common question. The expectation is there. Diedrich's saying he's observed it's all part of a cycle of if I hold a negative belief about myself, whenever it gets resonated, that belief chooses my emotion, and that emotion prompts me to do a behavior that validates 
and proves the belief to be true. Diedrich writes, one client from Holland was really upset about the fact that he wasn't going to be punished indefinitely for some of his previous behavior. In fact, he told us in the healing circle, quote, I can't get out of this without getting punished, close quotes. Now, the irony is that he is being punished relentlessly by his ego thoughts, which have produced a, quote, life sentence, close quotes, of unhappiness. And that will continue until he can accept the concepts of forgiveness and innocence. Another client was a recovering addict and a murderer who'd spent many years in jail. He came to one of my workshops with his girlfriend, who was also in recovery. Before he came, he said, quote, I don't want anybody to work with her except you. Will you guarantee me that? Close quotes. And I said, well, I think I can guarantee that. When he went for lunch, his girlfriend started into a process with one of the other staff members. Upon his return, not seeing his girlfriend with me, he asked, where is she? And I said, well, she's doing a process with Caroline. And he went ballistic. He said, I could kill you. I could rub you out like a dog and it wouldn't mean a thing. And he was pretty convincing. He had spent most of his adult life in jail and did not see going back as a deterrent to an angry impulse. I turned to him, I made eye contact and said, you cannot hurt me. I love you and you cannot hurt me, close quotes. I said it three times and he collapsed and started to cry. For the first time in his life, he had a visceral experience of what it means to be truly innocent. Diedrich quotes Krishnamurti as saying, the word, quote, innocence, close quotes, means a mind that is incapable of being hurt, close quotes. Diedrich writes, had I been afraid if I had actually believed that he could hurt me, we would have had a potentially serious problem. But I was not afraid. At that moment, I knew who I was, and fear had no place in my eternal identity. Of course he could have killed my body, but at that moment, I was very clear about my identity as a spirit. As spirit. Innocence is who you truly are. Innocence is a quality of being which is intrinsic and unchangeable. If you present me with a Charles Manson, I will sit in front of him and say, you are absolutely innocent. He won't like it. Why not? Because his whole identity is, I'm a monster. Don't tell me I'm innocent. Every one of us has done things that we're not proud of, some relatively bad, others not so bad, and some just plain silly. When, quote, guilty people, close quotes, hear that what they've done has no impact on who they are, they become quite disturbed initially. Eventually, though, they experience tremendous relief. The Choose Again six-step process provides the tools necessary to recognize and deconstruct our erroneous beliefs in order to once again live in the true innocence of your capital S self. 
When you practice these precepts regularly, all your relationships are radically changed. That's because all your relationships are with your lower S self. And then you're now transforming that little S self into the big S self, the eternal universal self. In so doing, you fulfill your inherent potential by living a life of purpose. A purpose that is your birthright, the one that you were truly meant to lead. That's why this work is so effective for many, quote, problem, close quotes, areas, including depression. Depression is a growing epidemic, but it simply means depriving oneself of love. It is not a disease. It cannot be cured with a pill. Somewhere along the way, either consciously or subconsciously, the depressed person has decided not to let love in. If you don't let love in, you will not know who you truly are. On the other hand, when you let love in, you know who you are. You are love. In capital T, truth, you can only give love and receive love. How many of us are aware of the fact that we, quote, block love, close quotes? We block love in our intimate relationships. How many of us are aware of the impact that that choice has on the quality of our intimate experience? One client had been seriously depressed for a very long time. She had tried everything and was willing to try anything to be rid of this condition, which was preventing her from furthering her academic work and was stressing all her family relationships. It only took two sessions to completely turn her life around. She used the six-step process to discover that, as a little girl, she made up a belief that there was something wrong with her. Her willingness to look at that belief, realize that it was not true, and let it go, led to immediate and dramatic change. Months later, she's still enjoying her newfound happiness, telling everyone she meets about her miraculous cure. Her readiness for a change and her willingness to use a new way of thinking allowed her a rapid healing. By the time we have finished step six, we have acknowledged the capital T truth about our capital S self. In this acknowledgement and the perceptual shift that comes with it, lies the power that capital T truth can actualize in our lives in positive and meaningful ways. This is the path to lasting happiness. Here he quotes Rumi as saying, you are the essence of the essence. The intoxication of love. I long to sing your praises but stand mute with the agony of wishing it in my heart. So that's the end of chapter 10, and he offers these summary points. Point number one, forgiveness is a process by which the beliefs that make up the small s ego self are diminished so that our awareness of our capital S self can grow point number two we need to forgive ourselves for our mistaken beliefs 
in parentheses, who we think we are, close parentheses, and how that has had us forgetting who we are in truth in order for us to reclaim the happiness that is our birthright. Point number three, keep processing and transforming negative beliefs until your emotional reaction is down to zero. Point number four, this forgiveness process does not condone bad behavior. We are not forgiving the behavior of others or of ourselves. Point number five, the ego will start to reinforce old beliefs again unless we remain vigilant with our thoughts. And point number six, above all, do not make yourself wrong. No one I know has been perfect in applying these steps, so please resist the temptation to judge yourself for not doing it well enough. I think he was writing that to Susan Bingham, but I'm not sure. I think there's a footnote on that page that says, Susan Bingham, this is who we're talking. We're talking to you. So that's chapter 10, and I will stop reading there and invite comments or questions before we close out the first hour today, and we'll look at chapter 11 tomorrow, unless somebody has some individual processing they want to do. So call-in number is 563-999-3581. If you call that number and press 1, we can have a conversation. How can we support you? What is on your mind? So, we are... Quick reminder that tonight is a Tuesday, so there will be a support group. And... um, We would be grateful if you would attend or bring somebody else along. And why would we be grateful? Because it's free. So why would we be grateful? Well, because our benefit gets amplified in community. The benefit that we experience with this work gets amplified as we intensify our community activities. And if you want to join us, we'd be happy to have you. Or if you know somebody that you think would benefit, we'd be happy to have them join us. All the information you would need to join us is available on the MindShiftersAcademy.org website. Please remember there's a separate page for Tuesday's information and a separate page for the Thursday login information. And beyond that, um, I've had so many things to talk about this week. I remember it was either Friday or yesterday, I'm not sure what, in the second hour of the show, Michael began talking again about regulatory speech. And I thought, you know, that might be a good way to open the show, but I didn't. I didn't do that. 
if nobody's going to raise a hand, I will want to recap that what Michael calls regulatory speech, the part of, of the process of our speech which actually reaffirms and strengthens and builds our belief systems, is evident in Diedrich Wolzak's work as well because he says the more we practice these thoughts or download them as beliefs, the more every time they get activated, they choose our, our emotion and that drives our behavior. So it's clear that Diedrich Wolzak has tapped into some of the same source material. He's talking about it from a slightly different perspective. But the idea that if we say to ourselves, I'm bad, I'm a victim, I'm stupid, I'm unlovable, I'm not good enough, it reinforces the belief and it creates a spiral that motivates us then to act in a way that will validate that belief. So what's the healing process in the six-step choose again method that we interrupt that and we use our speech directly to say I am completely innocent my value is internal and unchanging and I was it was never true about me when I downloaded this negative belief so I forgive myself for or I dismantle this negative belief I forgive myself for forgetting the truth about me or I actively remember the truth about me. I step into that experience of the energy that vibrates when I tap in, consciously tap into my true nature as love. And if I'm willing to do that at an experiential, energetically resonant level, I will get a lot more benefit from this tool. The other part of the regulatory speech is that it is revelatory. My speech will reveal to me what I'm hiding from myself or what I'm hiding from my consciousness. I might think I'm done with this issue or that issue, but then I can hear myself if I will listen I can hear myself say, that's really making me angry, or that person really hurt my feelings. And in a statement like that, I'm betraying either the belief that my emotions are controlled by people and things outside of me, or my belief that I can be hurt. And as that's revealed, now it's something I can work on. As long as I'm hiding it from myself, as long as I'm running around living life thinking I'm good, I've got this knocked, I'm done with this issue, I don't get upset when people you know, misspeak, I'm not upset at traffic. If it's the truth, wonderful. If it's not, I've just imprisoned myself in this what Michael would call denial. So, the revelatory aspect of my speech is why it, Diedrich Wolzak says it's so important to be vigilant because my speech will let me know what it is that I truly believe about 
my vulnerability or my perfect safety, about my true nature as love or about my being unworthy and unlovable. And the more I can train myself to actively observe, to live in the observation, to step back and watch my own thoughts, the easier it gets to make changes for the better. Because in order to change something for the better, I first have to understand that it's not perfect just the way it is, that something's out of line with my thoughts, that something is as an active process in my mind is trying to convince me that I'm not whole and complete and that it's possible for me to be hurt or lose something of value. And since that's never been true, it would be really useful for me to know that, to be able to stay consciously aware of that moment to moment. So that's why Diedrich talks about hacking a for a, a, a path through a rainforest. You can do that. It's a lot of work. And once you do, you're very glad you've got the path. It's very useful. And at the same time, if you don't actively maintain that, you come back a week or a month later, there will be no path. The rainforest does what it does. Your ego does what it does. The programmed thought patterns that make up your ego will just continue to function, like Guy Finley says, as a mechanical level of mind, just churning away. Unless you use a higher faculty of will and dedication and observation to monitor those thoughts, see the negative ones as false, interrupt the pattern, and use your process of thought to program something more accurate, more loving, closer to the actuality of life. And if you choose to do that, your life will start to get better by leaps and bounds. If you take it to the next level and you pick up a tool like the Reality Management Worksheet or Diedrich Wolzak's Six Again, Six Steps to Freedom Worksheet or the EFT Tapping or the Breath Work, now it's like putting that whole process on steroids. You will have effectiveness at an efficient level that you never dreamed of. So that's our first hour. I will remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. And I'll welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. You're quite welcome and deserving. Have a wonderful show. Thank you. Welcome, everybody, to the second hour of MindShifters Radio. Today is Tuesday, October 17th, 2023, and our call-in number is 563-999-3581. And press 1, and that puts you in the queue to talk to us, and we would love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. Give Michael a moment to dial in and... Um, uh, we uh, Yesterday was a perfect setup. I know that I had mentioned we were going to read an email that I had gotten, but yesterday was the uh, perfect setup for it to introduce uh, the tools to this young lady and for all of us, actually. 
great conversation and uh, touched into a lot of things. If you weren't on the show yesterday, go back to the archive and click on it, listen to it. You listen to the whole two hours or you can fast forward to the, I started out reading from the Course in Miracles and that our, to be the most protected, we need to be in defenselessness. And that sounds like it's um, kind of opposite of what we would think. But it says, you know, as long as we are in defense, that that's calling in attack. And that in our defenselessness and trusting in the higher power and that things work out a whole lot better. So I know that raised a lot of questions. We had some great conversation between uh, Susan and Magda. And uh, hope you all also got to listen to the Shania Noel song, uh, You Can Relax Now. I actually put a link to that in the notes for yesterday. So if you didn't catch it, you can go back and pick up the notes and, and uh, click on that link. And it will take you to the YouTube channel where you can listen to her and watch, look at the uh, lyrics. So I'm going to say welcome, Michael. Thank you, dear heart, and welcome, everybody. Once again, we get to play with these amazing Aramaic ideas, uh, especially the, uh, the core idea that is so ridiculously misunderstood in our culture as to be virtually useless the way that the word is used and taught today. Well, we're looking to reverse that. We're looking to invite people to stop this game of letting other people off the hook because their own physiology is producing pain and trauma and start to look into why their own physiology is producing pain, trauma, negative results in their lives, negative events. Basically, the whole core of my book, why is this happening to me again? And so it's a, it's a delight to, uh, to get to continue the conversation. I really appreciated what unfolded in yesterday's show. And uh, rock and roll. Thank you, everybody, for your participation. And I know you've got a, uh, a question that we didn't quite get to yesterday, sweetie, so let's go for it. All right. So this was actually an email that came through from the app. And she says, when you say not just let someone off the hook for what they've done or to forgive what they've done, does it mean I can't file a claim for justice to stop multiple rapes from the rapist? Or can I do both? Can I forgive and ask for justice to stop him? Many thanks. And I did get a follow-up email from the same woman, and it sounds like it is a repeat in her life, that it wasn't just a one-time event, and that it has now shown up in her daughter's life. And so perhaps you can address what, I think she's a little confused about what the forgiveness process is, so maybe give a fuller detail on that and then talk about how it keeps repeating. Why is this happening to me again? Well, as I said yesterday, and, and really the whole show yesterday is a prelude to this question, because one, one of the greatest, let's start, let's lay a foundation. One of the greatest atrocities done to us as human beings down through the ages, and you've heard me say this over and over, 
is that we've had hidden from us the fact that we are by nature creators. When traumas happen, especially repeatedly, the world has developed this um, conversation about, well, you better be careful about blaming the victim. Well, we're here to recognize creatorship and that nothing comes to you that is separate from you. You know, there's a, some interesting research that was done in prisons. And what they did was reverse lineup. They'd bring just Joe Blow, people off the street, and they'd, do them, they'd have them in a lineup. And then they'd have the prisoners on the other side of the double you know, mirror, and they'd have the prisoners pick out who they'd attack. Now, I don't remember what the number was, but some ridiculous percentage each time they did that test, the criminals picked the same person. You know, there'd be 10 people in the lineup, and, you know, 80% of the criminals would pick number three. Why is that? What, what goes on here? Recognize that we're creators. The way we create is through energy. I mentioned yesterday the lesson that Job gave us was that which I feared most has come upon me. All I need to do is acquire an energy, add fear to it, and guess what literal, energetic, measurable wave I'm sending out to the world. I'm sending out, amplified by fear, the very vibration of what it is that I don't want to have happen. So the objective of forgiveness is to let you off the hook, not them off the hook. The objective of forgiveness is to go inside yourself and find the energetic pattern with which you draw that which you fear and that you're recognizing has passed on to the next generation. And that's what happens you know, when they talk about, first of all, in Aramaic, the word sin is an archery term. It means off the mark. If you fire at the target on the, uh, the archery range and you miss the bullseye, the scorekeeper yells sin, you're off the mark. If I hold an energy that's off the mark, it might be a generational pattern where, you know, in this case of rape, a terrible event happened to my great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmother. And it's happened repeatedly down through the generations. Why? Because that terribly painful, traumatic, energetic pattern has not yet been forgiven, has not been removed. So forgiveness is about recognizing I'm a creator. There's a part of me that has to energetically be involved in something for it to be drawn to me. Does that mean it's my fault? Absolutely not. We're not suggesting that in any way, shape, or form. We're just saying that as a creator, you're involved in your life. And all it takes is, say something, again, from 10 generations ago, residing in our genes, to draw it into the family system again and again and again. So the Greeks came along with the idea of pardoning and said, well, if somebody does something terrible to you, you just let them off the hook for your pain, and then everything will be okay. And that's just an absolute ridiculous lie and a fraud. Everything isn't okay when you let somebody else off the hook because the energy pattern and the trauma still remains inside. 
What Yeshua would tell you is, take care of the heart, for out of it are the issues in life. That word heart would be the unconscious and would include literally our whole genetic history, our whole emotional history, our whole mental history is included in that word heart, which in our modern updated language would be the unconscious. So when Yeshua offered forgiveness, he, he was saying, go inside your own unconscious, go inside your own energy field and remove those energetic patterns. That's forgiveness. Absolutely nothing to, let, to do with letting them off the hook. However, it does let you off the hook. Because once you get rid of the energetic pattern that would draw any form of abuse to you, the same abuser walks by your house and has no inclination, doesn't even turn their head toward your front door that happens to be standing open, cancel the thought. But if you carry that vibration of fear about that sort of assault and someone with the potential, the predisposition to that form of assault is walking down your street and the front door is open, they turn their heads and energetically, they're unconscious. They don't know what's drawing them to it, but they're going to be drawn like the moth to the flame. So again, be very aware that this could be interpreted as blaming the victim. That's not what we're saying. We're saying that energetically, I have to be involved in my own life. And so once I recognize that I'm involved in my own life, you know, yesterday Jeannie shared that lesson on in my defenselessness. Now, we could have someone that has an atrocity that happened to them, such as this, and they could build a fortress around their house. They could build a dome over the house to protect them. They could have an army standing guard. Wouldn't matter. They will find a way, energetically, to draw someone, one of the soldiers in the army guarding them. Or the door happens to be left open. Energetically, the result is going to be produced until the cause is forgiven. You listen to that story, and it fits very, very perfectly here, in the Old Testament about this group of very bright people who were wandering in the desert, supposedly for 40 years. They were lost in a 35-square-mile area for 40 years. Now, when you think about that logically, here's a group of people who have written quite knowledgeably about astronomy. Do you think they were actually lost in a 35-square-mile hot, sandy place for 40 years? Is that what that was really about? No. No. What they were talking about, that word desert, would be another code word for the unconscious. And most people wander unconsciously in the desert, in that unconscious state, for the first 40 or so years of their lives before they start to go, gee, you know, I've been through this 87 different times with 42 different people. I'm the only one that was there every time. I'm the common link. Maybe I'm involved. What do I need to do to find the part of me that's involved in this atrocity and remove it from my structure so it is no longer present in me, so that I and my family system are free of it? 
It's called forgiveness. Now, you remember, if you read that story about that group that was lost in the desert, supposedly this hot, sandy place for 40 years, you remember what had to happen to get out of the desert? They said the old generation has to die off. The root of the word generation is genari. It means cause. All of the energetic patterned causes held within the unconscious have to be faced and removed, forgiven, in order to change the dynamic in your life. And when you change that dynamic, you open the energy window for everybody else in the family system to also be freed of it. You removing that does not necessarily remove it from your children, but what it does do is make it easier for your children, their children, your parents, their parents, or the ancestor that this happened to originally to be freed of that energy. You know, I like to use an example. Let's imagine we've got a sliding glass door that goes out onto the deck, and the door has been squeaking and stuck, and it, 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 it almost takes a Superman to open it. So any family member that goes to try to open that door is going to struggle and strain, and, oh, it's so difficult to do. And one day, you decide to acquire the tools, unlatch the door. You get it to move open, move open enough to remove it. You put new wheels on it. You clean all the gunk out of the tracks, top and bottom. You lubricate the tracks, top and bottom. You put the door back in, and with your pinky finger, you can slide it. Now, everybody that wants to open that door can do it easily because you did the work to open the door. My offering is that's this, the, the exact, an exact analogy of what happens when one person in the family system opens the energy window for the internal hidden dynamics to be changed. Again, remembering that story, 40 years in the desert, what was the alternative to the desert? The alternative they called the promised land. The promised land doesn't mean uh, some beautiful paradise, paradisical kind of place. The promised land means you get to consciously engage in an energetic pattern as a creator. There's nothing in you that goes against that to be resonated by that, and you simply create the result. However, and, and, of course, let's say, you know, the result in this case would be I want to create wonderful relationship. Well, if there's nothing other than wonderful relationship in me and I affirm wonderful relationship, then I'm going to simply create wonderful relationship. However, if in my file, so to speak, in my mind on relationships, there's pain, trauma, and abuse, then when I affirm that I'm going to have wonderful relationships, what resonates in me is pain, trauma, and abuse. And I go, you know, I've been talking about, I've been affirming, affirming. I've done a hundred affirmations on wanting wonderful relationships. And here I am 10 years later, I'm in the same old abusive relationship. How does this happen? Why is this happening to me again? We suggest do not do affirmations. I know that goes against a lot of people's belief systems. But when you understand how the unconscious mind can interfere with your affirmation, if I hold in me a place that says, I always get abused in relationship, 
until I go into my heart, my unconscious, and clean out that mind energy of abuse, I'm going to create abusive relationships. The more I affirm I have wonderful, 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 wonderful relationships, the more I resonate what's in me about destructive relationships, and the more destructive my relationships will tend to become. You know, I, I used an example, and this one's kind of getting a little outdated because it goes back a few years, but most people will recognize it. How many in our audience can tell me what the name of the Lone Ranger's horse was? I've done, I do this oftentimes if I've got a large group of people. I say, what's the Lone Ranger's horse's name? Guess what answers I get? I get Tonto, I get Trigger, and I get the horse's name, Silver, to the fray. Well, there's a thing in the mind called the file folder effect. And the file folder effect simply says that when two files fire together, they wire together. Example, unless you've heard me do this one before, you've probably never associated these two things. If I say to you, don't think about a purple alligator, what happens? Well, you can't not think about a purple alligator because the mind works by resonance. When I say purple alligator, the color purple resonates in you, and the concept of an alligator resonates in you. Now that those two things have fired together, they are wired together. If I started out tomorrow's radio show and said, don't think about a purple, what would everybody who was listening today that's listening tomorrow say? No, alligator. Now, I could come back, 20, you know, let's say 25 years from now, you're tuned into the show and you're on the show today. And I see, remember back in October of 2023, I made a statement that I, about what fires together, wires together in the mind. Don't think about a purple. What would happen in those people's minds? Probably most of them would not remember alligator after 25 years. But it would still resonate because of that file folder effect, the concept purple, and that energetic pattern would shade the perceptual construct of the mind, even though the exact event doesn't come to awareness. And that's how childhood events interrupt and interfere with our creative process. That's how generational patterns, you know, you, you listen again to where they understood the physics of how human beings create, and they said, look to the lives of the fathers. Of course, we didn't include mothers in that, for ours are but a shadow of theirs upon the earth. The sins of the fathers will be passed, yea, unto three and four generations of those who are separated from love. Now, remember, the word sin simply means it's simply an archery turn that means off the mark. If you hold an energy, oh, I, I always get abused. And that energy came from, you know, maybe you've never been abused, but that energy came from four generations ago. Whenever the abuser, the person who resonates with that exact form of abuse that you hold as a genetic pattern shows up, sins of the father, Guess what's going to come out of them? Guess what they're going to do? Guess what the experience is going to be? So what we're saying is, pardon someone if you choose. Let somebody off the hook if you wish to. But never forgive anyone, including yourself, 
for anything. And forgive continuously. Now, because most people hold the false idea of forgiveness, they think that statement's in conflict. Never forgive anyone, including yourself, for anything but forgive continuously. Well, Michael, how does that make sense? So what we're saying is, let go of the Greek fraud of forgiveness. Never let anyone off the hook. But if you're experiencing any form of trauma or turmoil or block or problem in your life, then forgive as to that block continuously until you are finished with whatever that is. So hopefully that makes sense of it. So distinguishing between pardoning and forgiveness is a key concept here. Distinguishing between responsibility and blame is a key concept here. Most people, when they hear the word responsibility, say, well, you're telling me I'm guilty, I'm at fault, I'm to blame for this? No, I didn't say anything about guilt, fault, or blame. What I said is you're responsible. Well, but that means I'm to blame, right? No. There's nothing about fault or blame in the word responsible. It simply means there's a part of me that's playing, that's involved here. Am I to blame for that? No. My energetic pattern simply happens to match, and when I meet someone with a matching bag of garbage, there's going to be a resonance, an attraction between us. If I forgive the energy behind that attraction with an abuser, then I free myself from needing to attract another abuser. If in the past, I've had an abuser come and abuse me. You know, please do your work, get your mind back to love, pick up the phone, call the police, and have them put in jail. If that's appropriate, if that's what your guidance says to do. If it was a crime that was committed, then for the protection of yourself and others in the future, for the safety, I should say, of yourself and others in the future, call the police, go to court and testify, hold them accountable. But what you want to be sure to do is to do your work so that you hold them accountable out of your human awareness and your human life, out of the state of active present love. Because if you try to hold someone what you call accountable out of hostility or fear, you know back into the blame game. So forgive no one. Let no one off the hook. Well, I shouldn't say absolutely. I mean, if you choose to do that, it's okay. But that's not a requirement for healing. So it's never about letting anybody off the hook when you talk about forgiveness. And so then I say forgive continuously because if there's any form of hostility or fear in you, that hostility or fear is going to produce and draw and resonate into your space and result. And so forgive continuously until that energetic pattern that's at cause for your abuse is removed. You can only do that if you're responsible for it. Again, doesn't mean you're to blame for it. It just means, oh, there's a part of me involved here. I'm ready to deal with it. I'm ready to forgive it. I'm ready to approach it. And one of the challenges with that is that oftentimes these things that need to be forgiven hold giant, just unfathomable amounts of trauma and pain. And this is my take on one of the reasons why forgiveness isn't very powerful, popular. Because people don't want to feel, don't want to experience, don't want to deal with those underlying energetic patterns. 
Once you begin to do your work, you realize that you can hold to a space of active present love and use the tools that allow those things to surface and by them by the very act of them surfacing and you being aware that you breathe and hold love present you are freed of them you dissolve you transmute those energies so you're finished with them so forgive continuously now, Ms. Jeannie, yesterday you uh, introduced the whole concept of defenselessness because of some of, but because you're writing your book and because of some of this very same issue of sexual abuse. So, do you have anything to add to that uh, that conversation, sweetie? Well, it was just a, a really powerful reading from the course on uh, how, um, like, defense and anger and attack just draws more defense and anger and attack and it's just a cycle that you can't get out of and that the only way to get beyond that is to uh, just trust, trust spirit, trust God and to stay in defenselessness. The you know, no it longer would be perfect. That... Go ahead, excuse me. Deceive yourself no longer that you are helpless in the face of what is done to you. Acknowledge that you have been mistaken and all effects of your mistakes will disappear. That's another one. That's from Responsibility for Sight. I am responsible for what I see. I create the feelings I experience and I decide upon the goal I would achieve. And everything that seemed to happen to me, I ask for and receive as I have asked. Deceive yourself no longer. Yeah, it's a very powerful passage from the Course. And my thought is that what you read yesterday, I mean, it's a it's got some ideas that are so dramatically different than the way most people think that hearing it two days in a row would probably be good. So maybe you'd share that with us again. Bring it back up. And it's kind of like one. And I didn't read all of it. It's pretty long, but uh, the first part of it is you feel threatened by this changing world. It's twists of fortune and it's bitter jest. It's belief, it's brief relationships and all the gifts it merely lends to take away again. Attend this lesson well. The world provides no safety. It is rooted in attack and all of its gifts, quote unquote, of seeming safety are illusionary deceptions. It attacks and then attacks again. No peace of mind is possible where danger threatens us. The world gives rise but to defensiveness. For threat brings anger. Anger makes attack seem reasonable. Honestly provoked and righteous in the name of offensiveness, a double threat. For it attests to weakness and sets up a system of defense that cannot work. Now are the weak still further undermined, for there is treachery without and still a greater treachery within. The mind is now confused and knows not where to turn to find escape from its imaginings. It is as if a circle held it fast, wherein another circle bound it and another one in that, until no, till escape no longer can be hoped for nor obtained. Attack, defense, defense, attack 
becomes the circles of the hours and the days that bind the mind in heavy bands of steel with iron overlaid, returning but to start again. There seems to be no break nor ending in the ever-tightening grip of the imprisonment upon the mind. And then I rolled down towards the end of it. Today, our theme is our defenselessness. We clothe ourselves in it as we prepare to meet the day. We rise up strong in Christ and let our weakness disappear as we remember that his strength abides in us. We will remind ourselves that he remains beside us through the day and never leaves their weakness unsupported by his strength. We call upon his strength each time we feel the threat of our defenses undermine our certainty of purpose. We will pause a moment as he tells us, I am here. Your practicing will now begin to take the earnestness of love to help you keep your mind from wandering from its intent. Be not afraid nor timid. There can be no doubt that you will reach your final goal. The ministers of God can never fail because the love and strength and peace that shine from them to all of their brothers come from him. These are his gifts to you. Defenselessness is all you need to give him in return. You lay aside but what was never real to look on Christ and see his sinlessness. Well, that says a mouthful and a half. Yinka's in the chat room. She said literally she had just been given something to read by Napoleon Hill, and it's on the mind folder effect, mind file folder effect. Right. Perfect. So let me read a little bit more from that lesson, Responsibility for Sight, from Course in Miracles. I am responsible for what I see. I choose the feelings I experience, and I decide upon the goal I would achieve. And everything that seems to happen to me, I ask for and receive as I have asked. Deceive yourself no longer that you are helpless in the face of what is done to you. Acknowledge that you have been mistaken and all effects of your mistakes will disappear. It is impossible that you, the son or daughter of the Creator, be merely driven by events outside of you. It is impossible that happenings that come to you were not your choice. Your power of decision is the determiner of every situation in which you seem to find yourself by chance or accident. No chance or accident is possible within the universe as it was created, outside of which is nothing. Suffer, and you decided that error was your goal. So, once again... This simply acknowledges that we live in a world of energy. We live in a world of resonance. When it says nothing can come to you without your deciding to bring it to you. An interesting piece of the puzzle to bring together here, an interesting point, to recognize that decision is an automatic thing in the mind. When I say don't think about the color of your car, and then I say, well, what are you thinking about? And you say the color of my car. Well, are you sure you're thinking, or is that just a pure resonance process? So the mind 
when it holds any form of attack or defense from the past, whenever that's resonated into activity, whenever somebody shows up that has the matching bag of garbage, the mind makes a decision. It's an automatic resonance process. It has nothing whatsoever to do with volition. It's volition. It's just an automatic resonance process. If I hold a particular form of defense in me and somebody shows up with that particular form of defense, then there's going to be a resonance between those two energies and there's going to tend to be an outpouring of both that attack and that defense. However, if I choose to, now I'm bringing in another word, choice, much different than decision. When I bring in a choice from being, from the state of love, from the truth of who I am, I now recognize my mind has made a decision to either attack, fend me from attack, and now I'm going to make a choice to forgive that energy of attack and defense. And now that I no longer hold it, if the person who holds the matching bag of garbage shows up, they're going to look at me and say hi and turn away and go in the other direction and find somebody else with the matching bag of garbage to play that out with. And and I'm I'm saying this literally. This is a turnaround. I, I'm I'm trying to what I'm seeing, what I'm I'm perceiving. I I'm trying to put it into words, but it's like literally when a person changes an energetic pattern that has brought them to an experience over and over and over and over and over and over again, when that energetic pattern is removed, forgiven, literally the whole universe rotates around it, turns on that, possibility is gone. Now I say that from experience, my own personal experience. I was brought up in a household where if you were going to do spiritual work, you were going to live in poverty. That's just the way it is. That's what's supposed to happen. One of the lies of churchianity. Not true. However, when I chose to move from the business world, where when I left I had a Mark through on one of my driveway, side of my driveway in El Dorado on the other. I had a penthouse apartment in one city and homes in two other cities and about 60 employees. Business world. And I started to do this work. There was a point where I just woke up one morning and it was time to walk away from all of that to go back to school and to teach this work full time. And that's what I did. And I ended up in poverty. I ended up, I mean, I literally, while I was going to school, traded managing a small apartment house for a room in that house so I had a place to live while I was going to school. I rode a bicycle back and forth to work. I'd gotten rid of the Eldorado and the Mark III. That was not the life I was living when I went back to school. And the first seven years of doing this work... There were times when I didn't know how I was going to feed my kids regularly. That was a regular occurrence. 
And I can tell you the minute at which the world turned around on that issue with me. I had actually rented a house in North Georgia to take time to write a book. And 10 days before Christmas, the pipes froze and we couldn't live in the house. The owner said, well, you know, I'm going to see how long it's going to take to fix it, but you can't live there. I had had a friend, Sam Levy, if anybody that's on the show remembers Sam, bless his heart, he's left his body now. He lived in North Palm Beach. And for a couple of years, he'd been saying, you know, you need to come down here. You need to come and speak down. You need to teach down here. This is before I started to really travel a lot. I lived in Atlanta. I had a center in Atlanta. I had a, a naturopathic practice in Atlanta. And so while the pipes were being fixed, I'd moved to North Georgia. While the pipes were being fixed, I took my family. We went down to North Palm Beach. This fellow had extra space in his apartment right near the beach. Thank goodness. It was pretty cool. And he knew the minister at Unity of Lake Worth. He asked the minister to host one of my workshops, which we did. And it, it started to grow a little bit down there. And there was a point where I had been there for several months, had actually gotten some energy moving around the forgiveness work, around the work. I was doing a lot of work with A Course in Miracles, actually, and not teaching A Course in Miracles for seven years at Unity in um, Fort Lauderdale and at Unity in Delray. It's actually about five years in Delray. But it all started in Lake Worth. And he went to the ministry and said, you know, what? This guy was doing this course. Would you let him do it here at, at Unity? And the minister at Unity there said, "Now, nah, you know, I mean, yeah, you can use the facility to do it. You can present the Sunday service. But, you know, things don't really happen here and people don't show up for workshops. Well, we set up a workshop, a series. And we ended up with, I mean, the guy, the minister was just blown away. We ended up with about 100 people. And there was actually some abundance created out of it. It was pretty. So a couple of months went by. The house was ready in, uh, in Atlanta or in North Georgia. And I had a workshop set up in Atlanta that I was supposed to teach. So I went to Sam and said, you know, it's time for us to, you know, head back to Atlanta. And he's like, no, you just got something started here. You you can't leave. And it's like, well, yeah, I've got a commitment in Atlanta and, you know, the house is ready in North Georgia. And I can remember it was a Wednesday night. It was going to be the last Course in Miracles lesson that I taught in Fort Lauderdale. I had about $102 in my pocket. 102 and some change in my pocket. I'm going to do this workshop and whatever donations come from that. 
and it usually averaged, you know, fifty, sixty, seventy dollars. I would have that, and then I was going to get in my car the next day, load two kids, and drive back to North Georgia, stock the fridge, and and uh, go back to writing. I'm driving down I-95. I get to Hills. I mean, I can tell you, to, almost to the inch where I was when this whole shift happened around me. I'm driving down I-95. I'm at Hillsborough Boulevard, and I'm just mulling over with some fear. How am I going to get my kids back? How are we going to pay for the gas? How am I going to get back to North Georgia and and do this workshop I'm supposed to do? And I was guided. You know, at that point I'd been practicing listening. And I was guided to get off the highway and do something rather shocking. I was guided to get off of of I-95, find a bank, and take of the $102 in my pocket and get a $100 bill for it and give it away at the workshop. To which my mind said, are you nuts? And I got off the highway and got a $100 bill, and I created a, a uh, an exercise where I asked people, you know, if they believed in the principle of giving, and, you know, you get back 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 times, and everybody agreed they wanted 1,000 times what they gave away back. So, okay, so take out the 1000 or $10,000 you're ready to give away, whatever you've got that you're ready to give away. It's like, well, wait a minute, let's not go that far. So, well, take out whatever you're willing to give away. Write a check to cash. Or put cash in your hand, fold it up small enough so you can hold it in a closed fist, and get up and walk around the room. And when I give you the signal, I want you to reach your hand out to whoever's in front of you and receive what they have in their hand and give them what's in your hand. And so we did that exercise, and we we had people circulate and do five or six exchanges, and then everybody, you know, ended up with whatever they ended up with. There was myself and one other person who gave away a $100 bill, and, and I remember one of the people who gave away the $100 bill, or pardon me, that received one of those $100 bills was like, well, okay, now who's this? this? I need to give it back. It's like, no, that's what you received from the exercise. Well, no, no, I can't keep it. And I mean, they were just, it was so hard for them to receive that $100. It was like, no, that's what the exercise is. You receive what you receive, and this is looking at what you choose to give. I got a $20 bill for my 100 Drove back up after the workshop to uh, North Palm Beach. Sam loaned me some cash to get in the car and get the kids loaded up and get back to North Georgia, stock the fridge. And we get the car all packed and get in the car. And for the first time in about 60,000 miles when I turned the key, the car would do absolutely nothing. There wasn't even a click like you get from a dead battery. Nothing. Totally, completely dead. And I took that as a signal that I wasn't going back to North Georgia. I unloaded the car, told both, by now we're doing Unity in Lake Worth, we're doing Unity in, in Del Rey, and we're doing Unity in Fort Lauderdale, told all three that I was staying and ready to carry on with the uh, the work that I've been doing with them. Literally, 
The next day, this was a Sunday. Pardon me, no, it was a Wednesday. It was a Wednesday evening in Fort Lauderdale. The next day, the phone started to ring, and I had private work to do that was, I don't remember exactly now, three or four times provided income three to four times what I had earned in the seven years prior to beginning to do this work full time. And it's never dropped below that since. So I I have that, you know, it's like my mind still boggles at how is that possible? But when I really tap into it, I can get a sense of of what I can describe as it's like, you know, the whole energy pattern of the world that matched with my poverty thinking because I was doing spiritual work. When I forgave as to that poverty thinking, when I was able to let go of that and step into, okay, I've only got a hundred bucks, but I'm going to give it away. the whole energy of how the universe supported me financially changed. And so, and I've watched people with every kind of issue you can imagine over the years, including things like being sexually abused, who when they go in and find the peace of themselves that energetically participates, and oftentimes it is a generational pattern When they access that and forgive as to that pattern, they are freed of that form of abuse. So if you forgive as to the sexual abuser, does that mean the sexual abuser is not held accountable? No. Does that mean you've let the sexual abuser off the hook? Absolutely not. Does that mean you've let yourself off the hook and that the universe is going to shift everything it does in concert with you around that issue, that's exactly what it means. So that would be my answer to your question. And I would suggest that you listen to yesterday's show because it really creates a foundation. Jeannie had shared the letter before we started, so I had that in the back of my mind. And then the show kind of went off in a different direction, but it was the same direction. And this just takes it to the next level. So it is impossible that you, the son or daughter of God, be merely driven by events outside of yourself. It is impossible that happenings come to you or not your choice. Your power of decision is the determiner of every situation in which you seem to find yourself by chance or accident. And no chance nor accident is possible within the universe as created, outside of which is nothing. So whatever the automatic decision system kicks up in your mind based in any form of hostility or fear, apply forgiveness as to that hostility or fear and free yourself from the universe responding to you out of that. And everything changes. Any other thoughts to add for you, sweetie? By the way, Uh, if you... If you want to take your work to the next level, then I'd suggest you go to our YouTube channel on this topic and do two two videos that are there. 
So if you go to YouTube, you can do that by going to our website, whyagain.org, and hitting the YouTube button on the social media links. And then when you hit the YouTube button, type in, what is the world? ACIM, what is the world? It's about a 30-minute video there that just takes this to another place, another level, another perspective on this topic. And there's also, uh, and it's just been recently added, a free Why Is This Happening to Me Again workshop. It used to be that you could only, you know, you could attend that workshop free when we traveled for decades. But in terms of getting a DVD or a CD of it, it was something that was always a, a product on our website. Well, it's now available free. The latest one we did, we did one back, I think it was last June. And so that three-hour workshop's free. So I'd suggest doing those two. It will walk you through the whole forgiveness process. And and then if if more questions come up, which they probably will, then please ask the questions, and we're here to support so, excuse me, sweetie, go ahead. And I put the links to the uh, YouTube channel and also to the free three-hour why in the notes for today as well. Um, the thing that came to my mind has now left. <laughs> um, okay, I've been there, done that. <laughs> resonant. I give the... <laughs> I give the example a lot of times of playing tug of war. I don't know if, you know, when y'all grew up as kids or whatever, you would hold one end of the rope and somebody else held the other end of the rope and you tried to pull each other across the line or whatever. Well, it's like playing that. You know, you if you hold fear, there's somebody holding the other end of the rope that maybe holds anger and you're pulling against each other. You're playing this game. But if you drop your end of the rope, it changes their game whether they want it to or not. And so that's a, an example I give sometimes. Exactly. And the, the workshop Healing Through Relationships is also powerful in this regard because when we hold an unresolved trauma, the job of relationship is to resonate that for us. We either go into that willingly, let it open, and apply forgiveness because we know how to use that tool, and we've got the step-by-step worksheet process. You either do that, or you will tend to be attracted to someone that has a matching bag of garbage. And sadly, most of the world calls relationships based in matching bags of garbage love relationships. And the people who are resonated toward each other, as Jean said, somebody's got the fear, the matching bag of garbage is the anger. And those two, when they come together, they'll start out calling that a marriage made in heaven. It'll be wonderful. But you'll notice there's a saying in the culture about relationship. The honeymoon is over. What does that mean? That means that one or both people in the relationship can no longer keep their bag of garbage hidden and the bag of garbage that they've been hiding from themselves, they now use to build their brain's image of their partner. Now, all of a sudden, the object, what they thought was the object of their love, now becomes the hated enemy. The honeymoon is over. The very, now, now that relationship where the, it's possible for the honeymoon to be over is the perfect 
marriage made in heaven. What do you mean by that, Michael? I mean that that's the perfect situation in which if you stop projecting the pain content of your own mind into your brain's image of your partner, which is what starts to happen when they say the honeymoon is over, and you learn to apply forgiveness, which collapses that false image in your mind where you put your bag of garbage into your brain's image of them, when you learn to collapse that and you come into direct contact with your own bag of garbage and you come into direct contact out of a space of active present love, then you begin the dissolution of your part of the matching bag of garbage. That's what forgiveness is. That's what the reality management worksheet process is. If you don't have the app, jump on your phone, go into the app store, and type in the words Heartland, H-E-A-R-T-L-A-N-D, Aramaic, A-R-A-M-A-I-C, forgiveness. You'll see in the list the red heart, red glowing heart, and that's the Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness app. Download it, and there you have the worksheet. There are two different versions of the worksheet. Here's how. Here is the mechanical way you go through the forgiveness process. And there's also there in our on our YouTube channel another useful video. It's actually a video of a, or a PowerPoint presentation. We actually have a gentleman who was a corporate trainer who was an expert at uh, doing PowerPoints, and he did teacher training. And after the teacher training, he said, Michael, I, I'd love to do PowerPoints, and I'd like to create a, uh, a video that explains what you understand about how this forgiveness process works. So, Bill Costantino, we appreciate you. The fact you jumped on board and created that, we actually spent about a year going back and forth developing that uh, PowerPoint presentation so that we had the specific, here's how forgiveness works. And in its simplest form, if we don't have a hand up, Jeannie, do we? So in its simplest form, here's what it took me 35 years to learn about forgiveness. Perception, the world we think we see with our eyes, is a construct of the mind. Our mind is showing us the pictures. The pictures the mind is showing us are not coming from the eye. They're actually painted on the inside of the eyeball, so to speak. We're seeing a construct of our mind. If pain comes into that construct, and you'll notice that, you know, you're, unless you're a generally miserable person, you're pretty happy with everybody when they're doing everything you want them to do. When people are fulfilling all the goals, I mean, even the, the nasty people, are pretty are relatively decent when everybody's fulfilling the goals they have for them. But by God, watch it when you stop fulfilling their goals, the nasty ones. Big trouble. I mean, just look at the political game right now. Look at all the wonderful people that were hired in the political realm by a certain person out there. And now notice as each one turns in another direction, how the rage is unfolded once that person stops fulfilling the goal they have for them. And so let that be a clue that your goals are a part of the forgiveness process. They're actually the key and the core to the forgiveness process. 
In the Aramaic language, the word forgive, that's the word that's been translated as forgive is shabag or shabak. And what it really translates is cancel. So what does forgiveness actually look like? If my mind is generating one of those why is this happening to me again perceptual constructs and I'm in disturbance and upset, I look at, I observe myself and determine who the object of attention is that is not fulfilling my goal. Oh, it's Bill over there. He didn't pay me the money he owed me. So what's the goal I hold for Bill? I want him to pay me. I want him to treat me fairly. I want him to be honest. I want him to keep his word. Now, each of those would be different possible worksheets around that situation. When you identify the goal in any specific situation that is the actual goal that you hold, gave four examples of what the goals might be. Somebody could do one of those goals and get no results whatsoever because that's not the goal that's driving their perception. You have to develop the skill of looking at and identifying the exact goal that you hold in a situation. And the easiest way to do that is just, well, if you were talking to a stranger, just, yeah, well, you know, Bill owed me this money and didn't pay me. And what I would really like is, you know, for Bill to just call me and say, gee, I apologize for blowing it on, on paying you. Here's your money. Oh, so my goal was for him to give me the money. There's the goal. And then what you do is you shabag, you shabak, you cancel that goal. What happens when you cancel that goal? And this is what the, the uh, Bill Costantino uh, PowerPoint, what he brought forward, is what happens when you cancel that goal is your perception collapses into its source, into the root in your mind, which is stored somewhere in your physiology. When that collapses, now you have a space to access the unconscious hidden part that holds the pain. This is the part that many people resist. So what we're inviting Ruka to do, what we're inviting this super processor that exists inside of us to do, in Aramaic, what was called the Holy Spirit is, is Ruka de Kutcha, a feminine elemental force in us that undoes the effects of errors and teaches us the truth. So when I cancel the goal, my perception collapses in on itself. I get to access the underlying maybe 10 generational trauma. I ask that power to help me to process it, and I forgive. I remove, I transmute that trauma energy that keeps creating that result in my life. Now, no longer holding that inside of me, it no longer reflects outside of me. And the matching bag of garbage in relationship has served its purpose, and I've learned to heal myself through my relationships. So in essence, that's the process of forgiveness. I'm delighted you've been with us today. Please create the best year out of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. The world really needs it. Forgiveness is here to support you in doing it. Blessing. And so are we. Blessings. Bye-bye. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.